This is the Education Gadfly Show. Well, he's, you know, he's, he's not much to look at. I guess that's why I got pranked, right? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Alyssa Schwenk of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the John Lovitz of Education Reform, oh, Robert Pontesio. Thank you. He's my hero. You know it was an April Fool's joke, right? What? The 27-year-old no. girlfriend. Yeah. No, come on, yeah. you're lying to me. Okay, can you explain a little bit for oh, people who maybe heartbroken. don't read TMZ as frequently as you clearly, uh, clearly do? I do. Uh, no, John Lovitz, the um, the um, turtle-like former Saturday Night Live comedian. Oof. Well, he's, you know, he's, he's not much to look at. I guess that's why I got pranked, right? He, he suddenly showed up with a, a, a girlfriend who was a supermodel or some <laughs> such, like half his age. I thought, how did that happen? Like, good for you. Celebrity and hoax. money go a long way, but yes, hoax. hoax. And in advance oh. of our own hoax on the Ed Reform world, you know, get ready, guys. Gladfly is coming. No, you know, this is not a hoax. I refuse to believe it. Oh. I want to believe it. You, I don't want to believe it. I'm very oh. glad. It's a weird hoax. It's a creepy hoax. But <laughs> as someone... Because you're not a 50-something-year-old man. Right. I am the 20-something-year-old young woman. Okay, now but I see yes. why it's creepy. All right. Creepy. Um, very glad it's a hoax. But, you know, you Sorry, wanted John. to be John Lovitz. No, not anymore. I don't. Okay. Well, <laughs> since you no longer want to be John Lovitz, I guess it's time for Pardon the Gadfly. Audrey... Sean Diddy Combs, better known as rap artist P. Diddy, will be opening a charter school in Harlem next school year. Do celebrities have any place in education? You know, this is slightly off topic, but is his middle name actually Diddy now? Uh, I'm still calling him Puff Daddy. Okay. So, in fact, I refuse Oof. to call this P. Diddy prep. It's going to have to be Puff Daddy prep. Okay. Well, Puff Daddy prep, which is actually, I believe, called, it's got an entirely different name. It's, Does it? Yeah. He's just kind of founding it, starting it. He's one of... Or he's funding it. Funding it. Yes. Okay, he's yeah. seeding it. It's a charter school. As we know, charter schools receive public funds they for their indeed. students. Um, he's one of a slew of celebrities. Andre Agassi. We've, uh, Pitbull has a charter school. Mm-hmm. I think John Legend is involved with one, or maybe he's just uh, on the board he's of on one. probably the board of a few. He's yeah. pretty involved in Ed it's Reform writ large. It's a thing for celebrities to be involved. <laughs> Do they have any place? I mean, look, uh, to be honest, I have no idea to what degree mm-hmm. um, uh, P. Diddy, or whatever he's calling himself this week, will be will be involved. Is it a good thing for charter schools? To be, to be honest, mm-hmm. the thing that confuses me. I mean, I, I work still, uh, you know, at least part-time at a Harlem charter school. I'm not sure that Harlem charter schools need a P. Diddy to to generate more demand. The, the, the waiting well, lists are already, uh, you know, tens of thousands of lines of uh, people long. Well, maybe it's to kind of relieve some of that demand. It's an additional charter school. Um, I feel like Ed Reform, particularly for celebrities who came from very modest or very low-income backgrounds, like it's a resonant issue for a lot of them. And I see that as kind of driving their interest. And if it's a good charter school, I say there's more room at the table. Look, a good school is a good school. I think, uh, as we both know, the the, the track record of uh, so-called celebrity Mm -hmm. charter schools is uneven at best. Right. I think the Andre Agassi schools are pretty good. Uh, Deion Sanders, remember that that was Oh, what a train wreck. That was a train wreck. So, you know, I, I guess, does it matter? Who knows? Um, I mean, as long as I feel like celebrity can add a lot of cachet, they can help with sure. the fundraising if they want to do additional fundraising. But at the end of the day, they shouldn't be the principal. They shouldn't be oh, the head of school. They shouldn't be no. making curricular decisions. So, you know, if he's partnering and I think there is some from what I was reading, uh, the authorizer or the principal he's partnered with has kind of a mixed track record of success. Okay. The school was doing pretty well, but he may have been inflating some of those numbers. But, you know, if they implement 
a good school plan if they are rigorous in their you know academic instruction and their discipline if they cultivate a good school culture like I could see it as a benefit to yeah. have a you know very larger than life benefactor involved my only nuance to that would be there are still parts <laughs> of this country that are not Harlem right. uh, that could probably use a little bit more help on the demand side that and so is if fair. there's a celebrity out there who wants to lend his or her name to help uh, drive the demand for more of these excellent schools mm-hmm. in places in the country that don't have them right mm-hmm. now that's where I would focus my mm-hmm. energy uh, P. Diddy welcome to Harlem happy to have you on board mm-hmm. but um, get in line sir mm-hmm. and you know Oprah has a school in Africa too right we didn't you, mention her you get a charter school you Thank get you. a charter school everybody Thank gets you. a charter school Thank you. That was mostly for that. I was guessing you were going there. Awesome. Question number two. The Friedrichs case in anti-union momentum came screeching to a halt with the Supreme Court's 4-4 ruling. U.S. teacher unions dodged a major defeat. Can they continue with business as usual? So I actually have the most D.C. story about finding out that Scalia had passed away. Do you want to hear it? Uh, I, I suspect the answer <laughs> to that would be yes. Yes. Um, okay. So I was like that. So I was at the used bookstore on Capitol Hill, which you don't live in D.C. full time, but it's a kind of local institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a wine and cheese night every few Saturdays. So I was eating wine and cheese at a used bookstore, it's the bookstore on Capitol it's Hill. Law. Right. And like everyone's cell phone starts buzzing and like everyone's looking at this and I'm like, oh, this is good. And, you know, it's these news alerts that Scalia has passed away. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, oh, my first thought is this is going to have a huge impact on Friedrichs. And that was your first thought? My first thought was, oh, you my gosh. A geek. I know. Right. And then the guy next to me who was also, you know, noshing on some wine and cheese was a professor at Georgetown. And they're part of a large Obamacare decision that's coming out soon as well. And so we were discussing the implications mm-hmm. of Justice Scalia's passing on these various cases while eating our wine and cheese in this bookstore <laughs> in Capitol Hill. It was very DC, as I said. But um, so, yeah, the. The Supreme Court, which was widely expected to go 5-4 with Scalia to overturn the Ninth Circuit's ruling in this case to kind of uh, get do away with the agency fees mm-hmm. that are inherent in most teacher contracts, which would strike a huge blow to teachers unions. Uh, everyone thought it was going to be 5-4. Right. He passed away. It's now, and it would have been. It's now 4-4, which means that goes back to the lower court. Yep. Their decision stands. No precedent is set. So we hit replay. We hit reset. Right, right. Exactly. You know, the, the, the one unorthodox of you, I have about this. I mean, let's be honest. There are some folks in our world who simply think that the unions are the sum and substance of everything <laughs> that is wrong with K-12 mm-hmm. education. If you get rid of the unions, uh, then you get rid of the problem. So I think uh, there's a lot of disappointment. Clearly, there's a lot of disappointment with this mm-hmm. uh, this outcome from people like that. Gotta be honest with you. I, on the one hand, I don't think the unions are necessarily, you know, the good guys in our mm-hmm. world, but I just, I've never been one of those people who see them as uh, as the be-all and end-all of evil and education. Omega of, of the problem. Lord Voldemort. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is, is this a disappointment? Um, yes. Okay. The, the, the longer answer is mm-hmm. it's a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's certainly, I, they dodged bullet here, yes. Um, but I certainly see this as an issue that is far from settled. We so. will be talking about this uh, at a podcast at some point in the future. Whenever they put nine just, uh, Ninth Justice on the Supreme Court. Exactly. All right, question three. Robert, in a recent piece, you wrote about how the first crash and burn year that many, if not most, new underprepared teachers face is unacceptable. Does any teacher preparation program give classroom management sufficient attention? Oh, boy, what a good question. Okay. Unacceptable. It's not just unacceptable. I would go as far as saying it's it's a crime. All right, that, that's an that's A an crime, against crime against the unprepared. Okay. You, know, you know, it's to be, to be earnest about it. It's a crime against the kids who have mm-hmm. these unprepared teachers, um, but uh, the, the piece 
piece uh, that Audrey alluded to, I wrote for for U.S. News, mm-hmm. uh, and it's based. Uh, it, it, it was sparked by a book by a gentleman I know quite well named Ed Boland, who wrote a book called the uh, The Battle for Room Three Fourteen. Mm-hmm. Which and you were not a huge fan of the no, book. No, I, I like the book well enough, uh, and I'm very fond of Ed. So I would. I, that, that's mm-hmm. enough reason for me to, to to like it. But what interests me about the book, and look, it's more of a memoir than a teacher right. book. Is this is not a alternate certification guy? This was a guy who mid career decided to go back to ed school. Did the did it right. The, the right way, and I'm making the air quotes around the word right way. We heard those air quotes, right? And still crashed and burned. And as you know, you were a Teach mm-hmm. for America core member. I 2010 was 2010 DC represent. All right, I was I was the New York City Teaching Fellows. That's something they throw at us all the time. Oh, you alter mm-hmm. people. Of course, you're, just you're so not unprepared. Be well, Six well, weeks in the summer. Right. We've heard it all. And in fairness, I. Think think, while I'm not sure anybody does a good job with preparing teachers for classroom management, uh, the alt-cert programs probably are more aware of the problem Mm -hmm. than the traditional uh, ed school route. Oh, for sure. I would add to it being a crime against X, as it's kind of a crime against the teachers who are going in completely unprepared. Um, I only spent two years in the classroom. I I fully embrace the TFA cliche that I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it was my first six weeks were in unmitigated disaster. Um, I had kids walking out of the classroom. I had kids putting their heads down. um, And I just did not have... Here's the problem Mm -hmm. that, Alyssa, and this is what set me off and why I wrote the piece. Mm -hmm. There's an ethos in our work that says, not only is that okay, we celebrate it. Like, oh, let me tell you about my Mm. first year, kid. And that's got to stop, okay? We got to stop telling these war stories. Teachers are the ones who get punished by this the most. It's just not okay that we make this hazing ritual part of the job and valorize. Right, totally agree. And I also would add on, I feel like those memories, like part of the problem with teacher turnover is when you're put into these high stress environments and right. you burn so much of your energy on, you know, these first six weeks, these first two months, that first year, by the end of your first year, you feel like you're five years older. I know I have like <laughs> physically changed. Like yeah. you look at photos of me, my senior year of college, I look like I'm 15. You look at photos of me in my, after my first year of teaching, I look like I'm at least 20. I aged like five <laughs> years and I have a baby face. That's neither here or there. But I do feel, though, that I went through the TFA six weeks and then had support from TFA. And then as part of our credentialing, I went through kind of a regular certification. And if we're going to throw all of this onto the alterts, like TFA did a better job of prepping me for the maybe not the nuts and bolts of, you know, being a master teacher, Mm -hmm. but like, okay, you have 22 kids, seven have their heads down, one is spinning around. Like, what do you do? What do you do? Like, they taught me how to manage that classroom and how to get kind of the baseline there so that I could build a foundation. And my alt certification program was, or the credentialing program, the master's program was run by a bunch of very nice people who had never worked in, or most of them had never worked in the environment Uh, I was working in. Let me defend that because for a while I was an adjunct uh, professor Mm -hmm. at Pace University working exclusively with first year core members. Mm -hmm. And that's all I did. Not because that's what Pace wanted me to do, but that's because that's Mm -hmm. what they needed and that's Mm -hmm. what we did. Right. And I do think TFA and the alt cert programs do a stronger job of responding to the needs of their core members or their program participants than a regular program. Yeah, I, and we're painting with very broad brushes here, mm-hmm. but in, in the main, I think it's true. My only complaint about this is I would just like to see a sense of urgency about mm-hmm. this. My sense, and this is unknown, but it's my gut call, mm-hmm. that uh, ed schools tend to give this whole idea, they're dismissive of it, simply because it's too redolent of training. You know, well, we're mm-hmm. a profession, we're mm-hmm. like doctors and lawyers, that's fine, but you can't send unprepared uh, uh, candidates into the classroom. So is this a uh, cultural change? Like we just yeah. said, 
or is so. this a training change? Is it your last year of ed school you're spending as an apprentice teacher, going back to kind of the resident model that people keep pushing? Yeah, I'm not sure how feasible that would be in, mm-hmm. given the cost structure of right. training teachers, but in a perfect world, that's exactly what, mm-hmm. what we would see. You would not see anybody, whether they're traditionally educated or alt-cert, just given the keys to the classroom and said, mm-hmm. here you go. You're, it's all yours now. That doesn't work. Yep, no. And while we wait for that perfect world, it is now time for Amber's Research Minute. And we're back with Amber's Research Minute. Welcome, Amber. Thanks, Alyssa. Good to see you. Why, thank you. So, what do you got for us today? Well, we got the new Brown Center report. Uh, I think most of our folks know about this one. This is Tom Lovelace's annual report. um, And it came out pretty timely this year. Sometimes we've Mm -hmm. joked and said it's, you know, end of the year or end of the next year when it's coming out. But anyway, very timely this year. So, he analyzes uh, a few topics, but I'm just going to dig into the one, which has probably gotten the most attention, which is about Common Core implementation via looking at the NAEP data. Mm -hmm. So, he analyzes trends in NAEP. Uh, NAEP actually has a survey component that a lot of people don't know about, not just achievement. So he looks at both the survey and achievement data for the 2015 cycle, which is the latest cycle of NAEP, going back to 2009. So the bottom line are that NAEP survey data show that those on the ground appear to be implementing some of the key aspects of the Common Core state standards. Um, So he's got a few sort of data nuggets um, that you're able to glean from NAEP. So first of all, uh, Common Core, as we all know, calls for about 70 percent of text to be informational by the end of high school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and his data actually show that fiction is receiving less emphasis at both fourth and eighth grades so for instance where it's supposed to be 50 50 by the way not 70 30 right in in the elementary grades right right. so supposed to sort of ramp up as you get older Um, so in eighth grade uh, there was a 34 percent emphasis that favored fiction and that declined to 24 percent in 2013 and declined further to 16 percent in 20 15. Sorry, so clarify for me. The students are reading more than 16% of 16% of their time the is devoted of, the to more than fiction. The number of teachers right? who are emphasizing primarily nonfiction is rising sharply. Long story short, Common Core, the, the instructional shifts are sticking. They're sticking, mm-hmm. right. So you have fewer. Okay. It's the gap in between right. emphasizing this fiction versus Oh, this that's great. Right. Right. So it's going right. down. Right. Uh, second, Common Core favors fewer topics in math, as we all know, mm-hmm. and a focus on arithmetic and algebraic concepts in the elementary years. Right. And that's happening, too. And all teachers teaching less data. Wait a minute. There's a policy that's actually sticking? Sticking? This never happens. Uh, (laughs) Teaching less data in geometry than they once did. So 36% of teachers report giving geometry heavy emphasis in 2009. Interesting. That number has now dropped to 29% in 2015. Our work is done here. Um, And then... Don't walk out just yet, Robert. Finally, the Common Core layout ace. This is the most controversial one, I think. Or Mm. maybe the fiction one. Mm-hmm. Um, it lays out a single eighth grade math yeah. course with the idea that all students are going to be exposed to more rigorous math with the Common Core framework mm-hmm. writ large, um, though it doesn't prevent states from requiring 
Algebra 1 if they want to. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NAEP data show that enrollment in advanced math courses declined from 48 to 43 percent from 2013 to 2015. Mm. Then, whew, finally, last little nugget here. Uh, then he starts digging into the achievement data. He finds that Common Core implementation is associated with the changes, not causal, associated with a change of no more than a single point in NAEP for both fourth grade reading and eighth grade math scores mm. from 20, 2009 to 2015. Right. But that kind of doesn't surprise me, right? Not, I mean, I, I love me some Tom Loveless. Don't, yes. Tom, if you're listening, we love you, okay? <laughs> did, I, did I say that I love Tom? Because I love him. Um, that said, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that he's surprised. In other words, why would we have expected well, to see big gains yeah, in NAEP? Yeah, he actually isn't surprised. Okay. Uh, his, his final quote, which I put in here, is whatever is depressing NAEP scores appears to be more, more general than the impact of one set of standards or another. So, okay. like, we can't, like, attribute this to Common Core per se, although people want to. Um, there's a Correct. lot going on here. And then I guess the other little wonky thing that I'll bring up real mm-hmm. quick is the way that he's categorized non-implementer states, right. strong implementators, medium implementers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back in sort of the weeds, you see that it was based on a survey of a state official several years ago and it's asking them, what's your timeline for okay. implementation? And okay. based on if they said, I think 2011, 2012, they were strong. And if they had a longer timeline, they were medium or and so on and so forth. And some folks, not just me, have said, you know what, that's really not the best proxy mm-hmm. for whether you're mm-hmm. fully, f- have shown full fidelity to common core implementation. Like a timeline is a timeline. Sure. And you've just got one state official kind of trying to speak for the state. So mm-hmm. anyway, I think, and he says, you know, some of these measures are imperfect. So I think that the, if you ask me, the most interesting point is what we're talking about at the beginning, which is some of these NAEP data actually bear out that some of these things that the Common mm-hmm. Core is sort of indirectly and somewhat directly advocating are yeah. happening. Hey, look, I mean, this this is, I've made no secret about this. Uh, one of the, my, my, the reasons I like Common Core is because of these instructional shifts. Right. And the idea, you know, I'm Mr. Background Knowledge. We've heard this. I'm not going to rant about it well, today. What? Yeah, thanks, okay. Alyssa. Sorry. Um, but the, 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 the idea alone that we're going to increase the amount of nonfiction, hence background knowledge, hence vocabulary that kids mm-hmm. are exposed to in K-5, to if that's the only thing that comes out of Common mm-hmm. Core in the next five to ten years, I'm still for it. It'll be a good thing. So I was, this is, you know, mostly Twitter information, but there has been some debate over whether or not this means that, you know, the impacts of Common Core have been felt. We're not going to see any more impact. It's Mm. there, it's implemented, or if we're still going to, it's, you know, the best is yet to come. Yeah, talk to me after a couple of years of Mm -hmm. of tests, because as we know, Alyssa, you and I, who have been teachers, Mm -hmm. uh, and Amber, what what, what drives classroom practice? It's not standards. It's the test. It's assessments. That's right. Right. And, and, and the point, by the way, that NAEP was never intended to measure Common Core implementation. Of mm-hmm. right? It's what we've got. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think studies like this are useful, but, um, you know, need to be taken with a grain of salt. And yeah. most people will say it's going to be really hard to measure implementation well of the Common Core. Uh, I know Morgan Polikoff, who worked with us in mm-hmm. a recent study, has got a big fat grant really trying to dig in mm-hmm. and do mm-hmm. justice by the word implementation by looking at materials that teachers are using and classroom observations mm-hmm. and all the really tough stuff that it takes to measure mm-hmm. fidelity of implementation well. But that's how you know. That's mm-hmm. how you know. It's different right. than asking, you know, a person who filled out a, a, a state official filled out a survey if your state's In 2009. Yeah. Yeah. Something Correct. like that. All right. Well, fascinating. More to come on that front as well. Always with Common Core. Thanks so much, Amber. 
Yes, ma'am. All right. And I think that's all the time we have for this week's Gadfly Show. Till next week. I'm Robert Pondicio. And I'm Melissa Schwenk for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.